This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. What's up? Welcome, everybody, into One Bills Live. Sorry, no Chris Brown or Steve Tasker today, but you've got the next best people, I think. I mean, I'm a little biased here, but Maddie Glab and Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports filling in for Brownie and Tasker. They'll be back in tomorrow. Tasker's out of town, and so is Brownie. Of course, the offseason, they deserve it. Uh, but we're going to be filling in today from one, two, three. We've got a loaded show. We're going to talk about a a lot of NFL draft content, which is perfect because Chris is an NFL draft analyst and he, I think, has been releasing mock drafts once a week, maybe even before the season ended. Uh, when oh, did you start oh, this? Since the start of the season. Oh my gosh. So at CBS Sports, they have just seen the traffic for those. They just go through the Click roof. Clickbait, baby. Even in September. So I'll just say when the draft is finally here and I get to publish my last mock draft of the cycle, we're gonna throw a party. I will definitely throw a party. Um, be very excited. I I don't hate mock drafts, but after a while, it gets a little redundant yeah. at this yeah. point of the year. Do you hate them the most when we are so far out from the NFL draft? Do you start to like them more as yes, absolutely. As the combine begins, as free agency happens, and you actually are like. Hey, I think I have an idea of what these teams finally want to do. 100%. And I think it's because in September and October, I get the angry comments from fans where I'm like, <laughs> guys, we're like nine months away Give from the draft. Give Don't be too upset. But yes, at this point of the year, especially after free agency, things have kind of crystallized a little bit. Mm-hmm. We- we understand where teams need to go, where they probably will go in the first couple of rounds. Uh, so it's a lot easier to, to do those mock drafts. We'll certainly get to those later in the show. But September and October, I'm not the biggest not, fan of doing it's those. It's not the easiest no. thing to do. Uh, it's tough because you're like you're you're throwing paint at a wall and you're like, does this look good? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But so we're going to get into that later. Um, we're also going to go through the latest mock draft watch 5.0. I believe it is 6.0 is going to be released on Friday. So we're going to go through that with Chris. We're going to go through some names and something that is exciting. Thanks to my husband who knows how to use Excel spreadsheets. I do not. <laughs> he helped me organize the 101 mock drafts Oof. I've tracked so far based off of popular names and popular position groups. So we'll finally have those numbers and we'll have them as we continue on leading up to the NFL draft at the end of April less than a month away it is wild out here we also have Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network she's joining us at 1 30 to talk about the Bills moves in free agency the NFL and and her thoughts about the NFL draft maybe some names that she likes for the Bills at that number 27 spot we've got a Twitter question for you guys today it is aside from quarterback which position is off the table for the Bills in round one of the NFL draft. You can tweet at us or give us a call at 803-0550. The phone lines are open. What position group are you like, you know what, this team does not need this. They already have enough of them. There there are a couple, and we'll get into that. We also definitely want to hear from you guys, but owners' meetings are wrapping up, and the latest out of owners' meetings was all the new rules that come out ahead of the 2023 season. And again, the owners are going to meet – again in May so there could be some new rules that come out after that but there's some there's a couple that are worth talking about um hot topic especially for the players is the ability to wear number zero are you a fan of zero I'm not usually I I I like (laughs) Gilbert I like Gilbert Arenas uh Washington Wizards 
shooting guard back in my high school days. He was a lot of fun. He was agent zero. I, I just feel like you should wear a number. Maybe I'm a traditionalist at heart, but I do know, and just from like checking on Twitter since that news came out, a lot of players are really excited about this. And for a league that doesn't do a lot with the jersey number changes, like it's not very often that this happens. For there to be a change on that front, I think that's why a lot of these younger players are pretty happy about yeah, it. Yeah, it excludes defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Um, that would so have been they weird. can't wear zero. That would have been very <laughs> weird. I saw for the Bills, I saw Naheem Hines tweet out, like, hey, we can wear zero now. I might have to look into that. And then Reed Ferguson, our long snapper, quote retweeted and said, sorry, buddy, I've already put in for it. So mm. we'll see who's going to wear zero on the Bills next year. I would I would assume there's going to be somebody on every single NFL team that yeah. wants to rock zero. Yeah, I think so. And then other than zero, um, also having to do with what players like or dislike, we did find out that the NFL has approved two Thursday night games mm. in a season, which I know our players aren't the biggest fans of just because of what it takes. What goes into a short week? A short week is even hard for somebody like me, and I can't imagine what it's like on the players. Just flipping from a Sunday night game and having to play or a Sunday day game and then having to turn around and play on Thursday. It's a lot of work to get there. It's a lot on your body, and it's a lot of prep in a condensed week. And, and having to do that twice in an NFL season, I know the season is longer, so okay, it makes. I guess it makes sense here. The NFL season could be even longer in a few years. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but, yeah, two Thursday night games. What do you think about that? I'm not a fan either in terms of just someone that watches the games, yeah. that has to analyze the games. and certainly, Late nights. And late nights to have – you know, another chance for that for the Bills. And I think they're going to be in a lot of primetime mm -hmm. games when that schedule is released in May. We'll certainly see that. To add a, a, another possibility, Thursday during the middle of the week. Now, if the league was able to, and this is like way beyond what I can comprehend in terms of making the schedule, if they were able to kind of bake in, like it would lead into your bye week or yeah, come yeah, after your bye I, week, I, I would understand that a lot more. And I think the players would be a lot more for that. But to have two, you obviously don't have two bye weeks. Now you can't do that. So the players are not happy about it. Honestly, I don't think the coaches are that happy about it mm -hmm. either. Not as much game planning goes in. I think, in general, the product that we see on Thursday Night Football, just you can have two good teams playing each other, just not as good. The tackling isn't as good. Yeah. Um, a lot more players are out because of injury. So to add another Thursday Night game, I get it from a ratings perspective, and that's more important than anything else to the league at times. Uh, it, I'm just not a fan of it whatsoever. And I think that's kind of the overarching thought from players, coaches, and even their fans. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, shout out to Amazon Prime. I thought Thursday Night Football this year was really, really fun to watch. I love the talent that they had on it. I thought they did a great job with it. But is it is a tough ask for the players. And you wonder if a move like this, if adding two Thursday games onto an NFL season for teams, you wonder if if you're starting to see into the future of are we going to live in a world where maybe the season is longer by a game or two? Maybe maybe we're looking at a 19-week season or a 20-week season. Mm. I don't know how many years down the road from now, but they did add another one in the last couple of years. So I would assume the more ratings you can get, the more money you can make for TV, the more money that these players can make, there's – you can convince people to keep adding on. Where Where's the number that you stop? And then alongside that, you wonder, 
is there going to be a world where teams get two bye weeks in a season? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think to your previous point, yes, the league loves the ratings and the owners are not just going to say, we make enough money, we're good. We will see a extended schedule, I think, in the next five to ten years in the NFL. And with that, because the players are already put through the rigors so much physically, if you're playing in the Super Bowl, you're playing 20, 22, 23 weeks at yeah. times, if you're counting the preseason as well, you got to have that second bye week. So maybe that would kind of coincide with, hey, we're on Thursday night football twice, but we do have that October bye week and the early December bye week. I would like that a lot more for the NFL as this schedule continues to grow, and I think it will. And another thing with that, the more you extend the season, even if it's just adding in a second bye week, maybe we're, we're stuck at, at 17 here and we're like, hey, these guys need a bye week. You're still extending the season. You're still extending another week where people are talking about the NFL. Absolutely. That's another thing. This league has done such a good job of making it a year-round sport, really, with all the tentpole events that happen. I mean – Owners meetings, we're talking about <laughs> yeah. owners meetings right now, and it's March 29th, and we've talked about free agency at length. We're, we've been talking about the NFL draft at length, and it's a month away. There, you, you, There's always enough to talk about with the NFL. There really is only one month a year, June, where the NFL is yeah. not at the forefront of the news cycle from all the way – even in May, and I know this as a draft analyst, everyone wants to hear about the draft mm-hmm. and, and how their teams did and how the grades are. Once we're in July, everyone's thinking ahead to uh, to training camp and the preseason. So it's already an 11-month league, I think, at this point. Yeah. To add another week onto the schedule makes sense in terms of what the league wants and what the owners wants for rating. Um, and I also think, and this is, I'm not going to pretend like I thought of this. If you go one more week out, we get the Super Bowl on President's Day weekend. If they don't want to mm-hmm. move it to Saturday, and I know Kyle Brandt uh, has pushed that, the, the Super Bowl Saturday, if it stays on Sunday and then it coincides with President's Day weekend, a lot of people a can have holiday. Off. It's a national holiday. And people have perfect. said the day after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. So you wouldn't have to just go through, you know, jumping through federal like hoops. It. it could just be one more week, get to mid-February instead of early February for the Super Bowl, whether it's another bye week, whether it's another game, 18 weeks, whatever the case may be, to get to President's Day weekend where the NFL could just slide in and say, oh, we're going to be the day before President's Day. Everyone could watch the Super Bowl, stay up a little later. The halftime show is crazy long. It would be a, a lot better of a viewing experience for a larger audience. A lot of mm-hmm. younger kids could ultimately watch the Super Bowl then, too. All right. We're going to see what happens over the next few years in the NFL because I can definitely see them adding a game, adding another bye week um, to that schedule. Another rule change that I am a big fan of and, and makes a lot of sense, and the Bills were one of the teams that helped propose this rule change along with several other teams. As I was reading this, it felt like more than half the league wanted this, is cut down day ahead of the season is now just going to be one day instead of a few different days um, as you make your way through training camp, which, you know, the first cut down I think is like five players you're cutting and and to just cut down five 
And it's not like it's a week into training camp. You do get to see these guys a little bit. But still, I think it's better to be able to to see everybody throughout the entirety of training camp or most of training camp, and then you can do your big cut down. Um, it gives the guys a better shot. It gives the coaches more to look at. And I think it also gives players who do get cut, you do have a bigger body of work when you're going to other teams or when you're trying get, to get signed by other teams. I think it just makes sense for everybody the guys who are getting cut or who are not going to get cut, who get to be on the bills or whatever team longer, it also was giving them more money in their pockets, which I also think is is nice as well. It's a rule that, that makes a lot of sense because also if a team is stuck with injuries during training camp, you might be signing guys back that you just cut, and it's it's a weird place to live in if you're yeah. one of those five that that maybe doesn't even if, even make it after first cuts. Yeah, that's all perfectly said. I'm surprised that this wasn't instituted last year when they cut down to three preseason mm-hmm. games because it was almost like you're only going to give these fringe roster players really two preseason yeah. games to show themselves. And right away, like last year during one of the preseason broadcasts, I remember Brandon Bean mentioning that yes. he would like to see it extended out because they are scouring the film of not just practice at St. John Fisher, and certainly this is the case for all teams in the NFL, but those preseason games. And you want to be able to get a bigger sample size for those players where you're not sure, are they going to maybe be cut but be on the practice squad, or mm-hmm. are we just going to flat out release them? So it's weird that the NFL didn't have this in line with the cut down of the preseason schedule from four to three. Now that we'll ultimately see it this year, it makes for a lot better product, I think, for the preseason and then for these GMs and scouting departments to be able to make better decisions in late August. I think also with the way the NFL and training camp has changed over the last several years, you're doing a lot less tackling, you're doing a lot less hitting um, practices, and rightfully so. There's nothing wrong with this. You're doing a lot less hitting. It's less intense than it used to be than the days when you were doing two-a-days And for that reason, coaches really believe and think, I need to see more out of these guys to understand if they deserve a place on my roster, whether that's on my active game day roster, whether that's on the the roster, or whether that's on the practice squad. So I think this helps. And I think it also really after COVID happened when, when these coaches were saying we're not getting enough looks of these guys to understand if, if, if they're meant to be on this team or not. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the injury element too, that it is better that um, during training camp, we're not seeing as much hitting because those are the worst type of injuries, mm-hmm. the, the preseason injuries. And there's been lots of studies done, a lot of data that suggests maybe you don't want to be hitting your own teammates necessarily because you're going to get hit a lot throughout a maybe 20-week yeah. season. Um, so the coaches can't really get the full picture of a player until probably two or three preseason games. And then you also factor in that a lot of the starters or maybe when you're trying to determine is someone the number two linebacker or the number three linebacker, they don't play a lot in the preseason. Yeah. So to get more time out there, I think makes a lot of sense. One cut down day. It is going to be mass chaos a little bit more That's than it's what I been. Was thinking of. But it certainly makes sense logistically for roster makeup as you move into the regular season. Yeah, that day we are we are sitting in the offices just kind of awaiting what's going to happen, awaiting when we get that list from the coaching staff. And when you add more names to that list and kind of sift through, this is what the final roster is going to look like. It is going to be a little bit more of a crazy day um, for the people covering the NFL and for the players who are finding out, am I on this team, am I not on this team? But, hey, 
it's going to be more for people to talk about. You're going to have more things to talk about at length versus just the final cut down day. One last point that I wanted to make there, because we're not going to get that first cut down where there's like five players. Mm -hmm. What I think in like what I envision will happen like this August is we'll get this huge list of cuts and it will be which players are going to be brought back to the practice squad and which of these five are just flat out being cut. Right. So that's going to be the new differentiation where when there was the first cut down, you're like, all right, these guys are not being brought back. Yes. Now we're going to get a bigger list and it will really become more so, hey, which players are going to be retained? Because the Bills have seen it, all teams in the NFL understand the importance of a practice squad in today's NFL with injuries you need those practice squad elevations to not be liabilities when they're on the field. So that's what I think is going to ultimately happen. Which guys are actually going to be brought back Mm -hmm. and be part of the team heading into the regular season? Maybe not the 53-man roster, but that ever-important practice squad. Yeah, that's a great point. And and we've seen for the Bills in in the last few seasons, guys have gotten poached off that practice squad roster. Guys that have been draft picks in the sixth and seventh round that that – would have a place on the Bills practice squad, can't even make it there because other teams yep. want to use them. And and we saw that with Isaiah Hodgins this year with the New York Giants. Um, he went on to have an incredible uh, first season with them and will be a, a pivotal piece to their offense in this coming season in 2023. The Bills have been – it's been a little quiet on the free agency front for the Bills. I, I at least – as of now, um, they did make quite a few moves in the last couple weeks, and that makes sense. Um, we knew Brandon Bean, or at least he said, it wasn't going to be a crazy free agency for this team based on where they were at with the salary cap. Um, but Monday evening at 5 o'clock, we found out the Bills re-signed offensive lineman David Questenberry to a one-year deal. There were several depth offensive linemen that were going to become free agents, so Questenberry is one of those guys who is going to come back, and it's been reported he has not signed yet with the team. It's been reported that the Bills are signing free agent safety Taylor Rapp to a one-year deal. He was with the Rams. Um, He was a Second round pick in 2019 out of Washington. This is a guy who started in a lot of games for the Rams. And so you wonder, is the writing on the wall for this Taylor Rapp kid to come in, who's still young, um, to come in and maybe take the place of Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde down the road, not saying this year, but down the road, because both of those players are on short-term deals right now and possibly heading towards retirement. We don't know what their future looks like. We don't know if they're going to continue to be on the bills, continue to be on short-term deals. But this might be somebody who's kind of waiting in the wing for that opportunity. You would expect, though, that he would still be involved in the defense this year because of the games that he started in last year for the Rams. Yeah, I think the safety position has become so vital in today's NFL because it's a job – it's a position that has – uh, significant job responsibilities that you have to cover the slot. You have to range from the deep middle to make plays in coverage. Taron Johnson, that slot defender type is so important today. So for the Bills, I think last year they got to see that their depth at safety was maybe not as good as they mm-hmm. hoped or expected. They had a lot of free agents at the safety position. They probably wanted to upgrade the depth behind Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, given their ages too, beyond just the shorter-term deals that they're on right now. They're both on the wrong side of 30. It makes sense to bring in a young piece that can maybe be rotated in throughout the season. He plays well. Suddenly he is familiar with this defense, understands the culture in Buffalo, the team, 
it's easier to re-sign a player after he's been here for a season. He doesn't turn 26 until December. So after a year where both safeties were injured at certain points of the season, obviously Micah Hyde early for a long stretch of the season, they got to see, hey, we need to upgrade the depth at the safety spot. And I think the same is true with David Questenberry. The Bills had a lot of offensive linemen dinged up throughout the season. And when you have Josh Allen, you can never have too much protection in yes. front of him. Questenberry is that maybe not amazing blocker, but he's a very vital swing tackle that can mm-hmm. play either spot, which is not a very easy thing to do. And you wonder once Taylor Rapp signs with the Bills, which he, he has not done yet, um, we have seen, and we'll get into the numbers later on in the show, but we have seen safety, um, at least in the beginning of when we started tracking these mock drafts, safety was a popular position for the Bills. Now, this was even before Jordan Poyer got re-signed to this team. Um, now you see possibly another safety heading to this team as well. And you probably start to think, which safety does have some, there's some good names in this year's draft class. It was also a heavy position group in free agency this year. You wonder if maybe we're not going to see as many safeties get mocked to the Bills because they're adding not one but two to their roster. Yeah, and I think a lot of the Brian Branch from Alabama being mocked to the Bills. Yeah, I mean, he you was saw a popular it, name. You saw it tracking 101 mock drafts, and I've written about 101 yeah. mock drafts, <laughs> uh, that everyone expected Jordan Poyer was not going to resign. Mm-hmm. And then the safety market was not as lucrative for a lot of these players, and there were a bunch that – Jordan Poyer resigns for a lot less than what people thought. Yeah. For Taylor Rapp, a starting safety who's won a Super Bowl and was a second round pick, uh, for him to be signed in the third week of free agency, it kind of crazy. is telling. It's crazy. It's telling that the safety position in free agency was not doling out these monster deals that we've seen in the past. So safety is, I would say, probably out for the Bills. Never say never with the NFL draft. We don't know how the board is going to fall with those first 26 picks, Mm -hmm. but it seems like they had a need. They had to address the position, and they did it by re-signing Poyer and then adding a young, important depth piece that is going to be part of the defense in Taylor Rapp if he signs this deal in Buffalo. If they do add a safety, it'll probably be later. Later on. And you, you start to wonder whether it's the rest of free agency, the moves that this team could make with Taylor Rapp, the reports that he is coming to Buffalo and what the moves this team is going, what moves this team is going to make in the NFL draft. If that is kind of a telltale sign as to what this defense could look like under Sean McDermott in 2023, because we now know he will be the play caller of this defense. He has been a play caller before. Um, he has been deemed as an aggressive play caller. Ron Rivera was asked about his play calling style at owners meetings. I asked about, um, I asked Ron Rivera about Sean McDermott uh, during the NFL Combine, and he said he is a very aggressive play caller. So you wonder if some of these pieces that that are getting added to this roster that do have the potential of playing this season, um, if that is kind of showing what type of defenses could look like. Not saying that they're going to completely change the defense. They're not saying that they're going to be a 3-4 team instead of a 4-3 team or really a 4-2-5 team because they're in nickel so much. Um, but you, you, I'm very interested to see what Sean McDermott does as a defensive play caller and if we see a little bit of differences because when he was asked about it at owners meetings he didn't say we're going to switch everything up he didn't see say we're going to completely change our identity but he did say every play caller kind of has a stamp to what they do yeah here's why I think this Taylor Rep signing does kind of indicate that Sean McDermott will be more aggressive in most cases 
when you're blitzing, you're leaving someone exposed mm -hmm. in coverage. If the Bills are going to utilize more three safety looks this season, which I think is certainly in the cards after you sign a starting caliber player in Taylor Rapp that's got fresh legs, that's very young, you can blitz more because suddenly you're not leaving a linebacker out there in coverage or you're not dropping a defensive end who looks awkward in space when he's sinking in coverage. You have a third safety out there. Taylor mm -hmm. Rapp is also a good blitzer. So I think to add more coverage ability might – only seem like it, it's something that's going to impact the defensive backfield, but I really think that it does give Sean McDermott more leeway, more of a runway to say, hey, we are going to be more aggressive. We're going to blitz Jordan Poyer on this side of the field because on the other side we have Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taron Johnson, and Tredavious White. It does make things easier when you're really good in coverage and just have players who are more apt to cover a safety as opposed to a linebacker. And this was a team starting off last season before Von Miller got injured. This was a team that blitzed at one of the lowest rates in the NFL. That number did start to shift once Von Miller got injured because they weren't getting that type of pressure that they needed from the front front four. You saw them blitzing a lot more. So you wonder kind of how that's going to work with Von Miller I'm excited about it. This has been a defense that has been a top five, top three defense since Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier really came into this building. So it's going to be really intriguing to see where this defense goes under a different type of play caller. Just thinking about the type of coach that Sean McDermott is, I've got to imagine this dude is working at his craft right now in the off season when guys get time off, when, when you're spending more time with your family, and I'm sure he is doing that as well. <laughs> um, but he is somebody who is such a hard worker and I think is such a great example for this team in terms of the work that he puts in. I mean, you would hear after he would speak to media or or the day after games when he would speak to media, if this team was going to be on a short week and they were playing on a Sunday night game and then heading into a short week, oftentimes we would talk to him and he would say, yeah, I, have, I didn't leave. I, I stayed overnight. And you imagine the work that he's putting in to get ready to call this defense in the offseason. It's a lot, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot more on his plate, but he's done it before. Even early on in his Bills head coaching career, he was a part of the play-calling duties on the defensive side. So he's done it, not just as a defensive coordinator, but as a head coach. And I think he understands that he needs to evolve as – a head coach as a play caller because the league is constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. And you're right. There's been no indications that Sean McDermott doesn't put in the work that's needed. And now with this on his plate, I think he will, you know, take that new responsibility and say, look, I need to do a little bit more in the off season. And at a micro level during the week, during the regular season, game planning to get pre prepared um, for the upcoming opponent. Other news notes from free agency before you had to break. It was reported that uh, ex-Ravens defensive lineman Calais Campbell is going to sign a one-year deal with the Falcons. He spoke at length with coaching staff and with people in their front office and, and really believes in what they're doing. Uh, he's been around a young team before, and he's going to head to a young team in the Falcons. So the Falcons are adding on their defense. And he never ultimately made it to Buffalo. There was a report that he was going to come here to visit. Mm -hmm. I still think that the Bills would like to add some defensive tackle depth. Um, and I think that was obvious because they were reportedly going to meet with Calais Campbell. Mm -hmm. And they met with Jordan Phillips er, um, earlier this week. So I'd be on the lookout for something on that front because Brandon Bean likes these 
kind of bargain bin free agents to add depth on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I would expect defensive tackles a position maybe that they're not done with in free agency mm-hmm. and also a position that they could attack through the NFL draft here in a few weeks. All right, stick with us here because when we return, we've got Cynthia Freeland coming on with us from NFL Network. She's going to dive into the Bills free agency with us and also preview the NFL draft. Don't go anywhere here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we're back on One Bills Live. Waited on Miss Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network. But for now, we can dip into the tweet sheet. Our question of the day, aside from quarterback, which position is off the table for the Bills in round one of the NFL draft? And first, Chris, I want to get your opinion on this. What what position group do you think eh, this team is good on? All right, I think running back is a low-hanging fruit, but I'll let you speak on that, um, especially after signing Damian Harris. I'll go edge rusher. I mean, Von Miller's age certainly could be a factor, but A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, do they do any other or make any other signings at the edge rusher position? I think Gregory Rousseau obviously being there, that's a spot where in round one, I think it would be redundant for the Bills to ultimately make that pick at that position. The board's not going to fall so badly for the Bills that they just have to pick the best edge rusher mm-hmm. available. Um, you have a more aggressive play caller in Sean McDermott potentially this season to generate pressure on the quarterback. There's a lot of other spots. I don't think the Bills have a ton of holes, but there's a lot of other positions that I think would make more sense to get that top-tier big-time first-round talent than the edge rusher position. Yeah, we kind of looked at each other like, we don't want to say, say the same position, but what do you think? And it was running back and edge rusher. And honestly, I've seen one edge rusher mock to this team. So it's it's also a people position group that people understand. And it's a position group that this team has gone after in the draft in the last couple years. So it makes sense that, all right, Shy away from this this season. If you want to draft one, maybe do it later um, in the later rounds. But, uh, yeah, running back, I think, is an easy answer for anybody based on that Damian Harris signing. And Bijan Robinson has just been the hottest name out there for the Bills from people who are on the outside, national analysts, just people doing mock drafts. And I totally understand where you're coming from. This is an incredible playmaker, somebody who could change this team. But because of the offense this team runs and because of your Damian Harris, um, which Brandon Bean alluded to signing somebody like Damian Harris um, when he was talking about free agency after the Bills made some of those initial moves in free agency, he said, we are going to go after adding depth to our running back room. What we're looking for is a bigger back. And you didn't know if bigger back meant, like, are we going to go after a 250-pound guy? Are we going to go after somebody that's over 200 pounds? What is a bigger back in their eyes? And they signed Damian Harris. And you see, this is a bigger back in this offense. This is what they're looking for in this offense. They're not an offense that is looking for a 250-pound running back. I don't think they'll ever be that. That's what Sean McDermott said. So I don't think Bijan. Robinson would make sense for this team. Yeah, and just quickly on Bijan Robinson and the connection to the Bills in the mock draft world, it's become like a mock draft tradition that in the back <laughs> part of the first round, the top running back, it was yes. Travis Etienne a couple years ago, Brees Hall last year, every mock, it seemed like every other mock, had the Bills picking a running back. They also have Josh Allen, and they could look to the Chiefs who p- picked Clyde Edwards-Elaire the end of the first round a couple years ago, ultimately turned out to be a disaster for them. 
when you have an elite quarterback, you don't need to prioritize a running back spot. Yeah, I totally believe it. All right, joining us now is NFL media analytics expert Cynthia Freeland. Cynthia, thanks for taking the time to be on with us. So good to see you. Great to see you. I just got caught. I live in Southern California and I just got caught in what can only be described as a torrential downpour. So (laughs) (laughs) taking the dog out. So excuse my wet hair, but I, uh, yeah, that it was wild. Oh my gosh. In California, nonetheless. And here we are in Buffalo where where we're getting text messages that say it's going to change. The weather's going to change today at four o'clock from forties to gusty winds and (laughs) snow. So you know what? We feel you over here in Western New York. Cynthia, I know you did a mock draft ahead of free agency. I hear there is another one coming out soon this week. So do you want to tell us about who you think the Bills should pick at number 27 in your latest mock draft that's going to come out? So I too agree that a running back doesn't necessarily make sense. And even though I like Bijan Robinson and think he is the most dynamic back in this draft, I actually gave the Bills Cam Smith who to me, like getting a lot of depth in the secondary, especially since the secondary is an area where there was a lot of injuries last season. And by the way, this is a team that uses five or more defensive backs over 90% of the time. I know Leslie Frazier is not going to be calling the plays this year, but I don't necessarily anticipate that to change too much. But Cam Smith's ability to really be a playmaker like right from the jump would have so much nice upside for them. I mean, look, I'm, I'm looking at like his BCS teams and where he ranks in terms of change of direction speed, meaning adapting to what happens in front of him. And that's a really key component, especially in this nightmare of an AFC and especially the AFC East, where you're going to have a lot of different types of passes and a lot of different strategies to try to stop them. What do you think about that, Chris? Actually, that is music to my ears because Cam (laughs) Smith is my number one cornerback in this draft class for a lot of the reasons that Cynthia just pointed out. His 2021 was better than this past season, and it was kind of the classic two years ago they threw at him, and he made a ton of plays on the football. Then in 2022, they're like, let's not throw to that side of the field where Cam Smith is. Um, And then it would also be beyond just being an instant impact guy, which I think because Cam Smith in the SEC battle-tested there uh, can be that. It's a long-term solution as well, that 2024 and beyond the future of Dane uh, Jackson a little bit uncertain. It would make sense for a team, like Cynthia said, that runs the most nickel defense in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense for the future of this team. The guys that they do have on this roster right now, okay, fine. But like going down the road, you're going to have to re-up at that position. What's the future of Tredavious White as well? What does his future look like? We saw him come off that injury, and yes, he did show progress, but it wasn't like he was the same Tredavious White. Hopefully he will be uh, this season. Cynthia, as you look at this team and the moves that they made in free agency, what are some names that stick out to you that you really like? Um, what brand and being did in the last few weeks? Well, let's just like start with the most obvious thing. And the answer is Vaughn Miller. And I understand that happened last year, (laughs) but let's not forget that those big moves last year will still pay dividends this year because Vaughn got hurt. And basically this entire team was limping to the finish line last season. So when I'm looking at who they get back and Tredavious White, you talked about it having another, you know, eight or nine months to potentially get even more healthy. These are not like, this is not a division or a team that like they they they, they get everyone's best. They're not like a you know so you're not getting like some like okay this is some sort of sleeper game or whatever. No, you're getting everyone's best. People game plan specifically for the Bills every single 
week. And if you're missing some of those key pieces, then you're really not necessarily, you know, getting those back makes a big difference. So Brandon didn't have to do as much this off season as he has in other off seasons, but I like what happened with the O-line. I think really trying to figure out, this is an O-line that if you, if you map how far apart they stand compared to other teams, they actually have more space between the A gaps and the B gaps than other teams. Part of that is because that's how Josh Allen plays the best. And when you have a guy that's as dynamic as Josh, like you can take up more space and create more spread situations for yourself. Awesome. Love all of that. So I, I like the the fit there really creates a lot of upside and cleared the right amount of cap to bring people back. But the number one move and and look again, it's we're rolling it back. Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer. <laughs> Like bring him back. Now you have Micah Hyde, of course, become uh, coming back as well. So that two safety situation, we've seen how dynamic they've been for years. So at the end of the day, like it doesn't necessarily need to be a slew of new names. It can be the guys that they really believe in coming back. And continuity is a huge deal. So keeping your guys together, that will help optimize for a quicker, you know, once training camp starts and then preseason where hopefully I'll get to hang out with you guys and we can see them kind of start to gel. Maybe they probably won't play in games, let's be clear, but you know, like <laughs> we'll start to see them gel in terms of practice and then they can hit the ground running because this is a team and a division. Like I, I just think that AFC East is a nightmare and it got worse this off season. So they're going to need to hit the ground running and bringing back their same players creates that chemistry faster. All right. Perfect segue. Cause I wanted to stay in the AFC East. Uh, you mentioned that it's become more of a nightmare division. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets official trade coming down. Hopefully it happens soon. Boring. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. I want it to happen, but it does seem like it will happen. I know you have a bunch of models uh, that look ahead to the future that are predictive. What does Aaron Rodgers do to the Jets' win total? And just maybe more of a general question, too, just overall what they can do offensively with Aaron Rodgers as opposed to Zach Wilson or some other quarterback that they could ultimately have. Well, I always want to start with the trenches because it's so important. And the left tackle position, a couple of years ago, they drafted Makai Becton. And in the past two seasons, he's played a total of 48 snaps. Mm. So the first thing that needs to happen is they need to really figure out how to shore up that O-line. And that seems like something they'll be selecting for in the draft based on all of the other moves that they've made this offseason. Maybe they could take a pass rush or whatever. But at the end of the day, they'll probably end up to be in the market for a left tackle. And maybe, I mean, Mackay Becton allegedly coming back, but I don't know if I trust that or not. I hope he's healthy, but, you know, just for the human sake, but it seems dicey. But Aaron Rodgers is probably, of these offseason moves, like, you know, you can, you can do it in terms of win total. The number ends up being right around six. So just so you, to give you some an idea, like a regular quarterback's around like four, four and a half. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, they're right up there at six. Aaron Rodgers, right up there with them, right around six. It's, you know, a, a fractional points of a, of a win total of a, of a game to that distinguishes between the two. Remember, this is your two-time back-to-back MVP in a season where, you know, COVID seasons or whatever he wants to call it. But at the end of the day like he is a needle mover this leverage is you know they, they talk you know it was annoying I will I will admit it it was a little annoying to you know I'm talking about him every five minutes during free agency but you know it he is one of those players that has earned that right based on how he's played and there are very few Aaron Rodgerses in the world and there are a lot more guys who are average so he has earned the right for us to be 
talking about him this much. But again, it that doesn't make it not annoying. <laughs> this is a question that's going to be kind of looking into the crystal ball, the future a little bit. But do you like this move for a team in the Jets who are a young team who have the capability and the capacity to really trend in the right direction in the future with the right quarterback who may not retire in a year or so. I feel like a move like this, yes, it will increase their play this season, maybe next season, but we really don't know what's going to happen beyond this season. This deal also isn't officially done yet. Um, so how do you view a move like this with a team that is so young and has really done a great job in the draft in the last few years, and you kind of look at these salaries that are going to be coming up in the next few years when you're going to have to start to pay these younger players, and you may still not have your answer at quarterback in three years from now, depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers and the rest of his future as an NFL quarterback? Well, you also have to kind of look at the life cycle of where the coaches are in their trajectories. Because remember, a lot of that job has changed a lot. You know, I'm not saying something that's controversial here. There's been a lot of different Jets Mm -hmm. coaches in the past years, right? So when I'm looking to see, like, like sometimes you have to, like, figure it out for now. They have done a nice job of drafting. They have a lot of nice, uh, nice pieces, but they, they didn't, it doesn't appear that they got Zach Wilson, right? At least not yet. I would think that the idea here is that you bring in Aaron Rodgers and maybe have him mentor a Zach Wilson who had a lot of promise and potentially with a new offensive scheme and maybe even an O-line that could help him out, things would be a little bit better. But at the end of the day, I think they're kind of saying, that's a problem for future us. Let's go get some wins now. Let's make this a destination. And by the way, the world is changing. Look back at like now colleges with NIL and all these things. The way that the guys are viewing where they go to school and the transfer portal and all that stuff, the allure of New York City will have like it additional marketing dollars that we don't we don't know how it's all gonna like net out necessarily like maybe the maybe the additional stuff will become more exciting for a guy who's used to making a lot of money I don't know like I, the NIL stuff I'm 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 curious to see how that strategically plays out in the future so I think they're punting that problem for uh, that's a problem for future Jets not current Jets. Um, speaking of another AFC East opponent that I think is very much thinking about today and this season, the Miami Dolphins. You mentioned what a really top-tier quarterback, an elite quarterback, can do from a win total perspective. What about Jalen Ramsey going to the Miami Dolphins, an elite-level corner that's still in the prime of his career? What does that do? Maybe not as much because there's obviously not um, – as big of an impact on a game when you're playing corner as opposed to passing the football. What does Jalen Ramsey do for the Dolphins' defense and just their win total projections in your models? Well, you've got to understand how to stop. Like, third down needs to be – like, if if there's one place to sort of start, it's basically what happens on obvious passing downs. I just say third down in that case, right? And if you look to see, like, like you look what happened with the Dolphins last year, they, they kept getting better on their defensive front. Their pass rush actually improved. Obviously, they brought in Bradley Chubb, and they have these, these other pieces that got better with the addition of Bradley Chubb. But now you kind of have to have the front and the back aligned. And it is absolutely key in the AFC. Like, you know, it's funny. Name the top five quarterbacks in the NFC. I'll wait. You know, like, okay, let's assume Aaron Rodgers moves. Now name the top five in the AFC, and you, you're basically in one division. You know, like, so the, the reality is, is it becomes even more crucial that you get those lockdown, shutdown, whatever you want to call them, corners 
in that space, or you create it with your safeties, corners, and defensive backs as a whole. They took the strategy of bringing Jalen Ramsey back to the state of Florida for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is that, you know, that was their strategy. Their safeties aren't as strong, so they're trying to build from the corners in. It's just a strategy play for the way that their defense operates and also available assets in the marketplace. You can't go out and create a Jordan and Micah situation from nowhere. So it was available assets in the marketplace that were achievable for them, and that trade was achievable for them. Cynthia, one last question before uh, we take a break. Is there one team that you really think hit a home run in free agency that's going to be set up to to be maybe a playoff team who wasn't last season, uh, this upcoming season in 2023? Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy to say this because I, you know, never would think I would say this, but number one, Aaron Rodgers leaving the NFC North makes it really great for everyone else. Number two, um, you know, the the Bills and the Lions are now friends because of, you know, last <laughs> year there was some help at the stadium and everything. But I think that because of, like, not panicking and doing weird things and remaking their secondary, because I think the Lions did a nice job of remaking their secondary, I think that the Lions actually might have a chance to make to the postseason. I'm not saying they're going to win a game because in my lifetime they haven't done that. But, you know, that the, they're, you know, I'm from Michigan, so that's why I have to say that. But I actually think that the Lions did a, a really nice job. I also think that, look, NFC South is achievable too. I think that the I think both the Panthers and the Falcons have something interesting going on. We'll have to see what ultimately nets out at the quarterback position. But to me, if you want to like be a higher probability to make it to the postseason, you know what you got to do? You got to move your team to the NFC. That That's the real answer. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's what you got to do. Easier said than done. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Cynthia. We appreciate all your expertise on free agency and the Buffalo Bills. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, that was Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network. She's NFL's media analytics expert, uh, so good at what she does, does. That mock draft is dropping on Thursday, so make sure you look out for us. Look out for it. All right, break time for us. When we come back here, we're going to dip into the NFL draft. Everything you need to know, everything you need to know related to the Bills. Coming up next year on One Bills Live, we're presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we're back here on One Bills Live. We just had Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network on with us. Her latest mock draft is coming out on Thursday. It's 2.0. She did one before free agency and is going to do one after now. And she had a defensive back being mocked to the Bills at 27. She said, hey, I understand Quarterback is not an exact need for this team, but hear me out. This is why this team should draft Cam Smith from South Carolina. She made a lot of sense. This team plays um, with five defensive backs on the field more than any other team in the NFL. It's nice to have good, good depth at that position. They, They do have depth. But like she said, that depth was tested with injuries last year. Yeah, and then what about just playing in the AFC that Cynthia brought up the fact that all the good quarterbacks are in the AFC and mm-hmm. in the playoffs, the Bills have seen Patrick Mahomes multiple times. They've now seen Joe Burrow. I think at some point they're going to see Justin Herbert. 
Jimmy Garoppolo's there with a very familiar face in Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas with the Raiders. There's Tua in the division who had the highest quarterback rating in the NFL last season when he was healthy. Aaron Rodgers joining your division most likely. So it's not the worst thing to have a bunch of really highly talented cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, so it, it doesn't seem like, hey, the Bills need corner like you mentioned. But if they do go that route, if the board falls a certain way, mm-hmm. they don't love everything else, I don't think that's out of the question. Yeah, let's go to our tweet sheet. It's presented by Corgan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving systems of the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to jump around here and pick some interesting ones. So Charlie says... In terms of what position should be off the table for the Bills in round one, do not draft this position group. Charlie says tight end would be a waste of a first-round pick. And you know what, Charlie? I disagree with you. I would be pretty pumped up about the Bills drafting a tight end because this year's draft class is unlike – Pretty much any other draft class with tight ends. These are talented tight ends. These are, maybe I would throw out the word generational for a few Mm. of these guys. Guys (laughs) who can change an offense. We've seen how the Chiefs operate because of a guy like Travis Kelsey. Not saying there's an exact carbon copy in this year's draft class, but there's there's guys who can do what Travis Kelsey uh, does at an NFL level. NFL, I in the NFL, I think tight end, if you have a good one, that can be your secret weapon. The Bills have Dawson Knox. He has shown how he can grow in the NFL. He's shown promise. I think there is still growth left for him. I, I don't think he's peaked yet at all. Um, but when you start to imagine another really good tight end next to Dawson Knox and somebody who can continue to diversify this offense and throw off what NFL defensives have to do. If one of the best is sitting there at 27 and the wide receivers are off the table and you don't want to go linebacker yet, sign me up for a tight end. Yeah, here's why I would be fine with it. Just the simple fact of is this player directly helping Josh Allen and giving him more weapons. Tight end is certainly – you look at the blocking a little bit, but it is certainly a receiving position in today's NFL. Yeah. There's a big cry out for get more receivers. You got to be like the Bengals. You got to be like the Chiefs and be super deep at receiver. How about someone like Dalton Kincaid from mm-hmm. Utah that is such a high caliber receiving threat? Michael Mayer at Notre Dame. From the time he was a freshman, it looked like he was going to be a first round pick. He's a good blocker, but he catches everything. He's good after the catch. And I think Darnell Washington, number zero at Georgia, uh, Almost a sixth offensive lineman out there. Yeah. 6'7", 265 pounds, ran in the low four sixes. He would be a matchup nightmare across from Dawson Knox and to have Stephon Diggs and Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy. Then suddenly the Bills are really diverse in what they can do formationally and just the players that are running routes for Josh Allen. The opportunities are endless with yeah, a tight end like that on your roster. So I understand where you're coming from, Charlie, but if you get a good one, I am Okay with that. We've got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the latest mock draft watch. As promised, you're going to hear about some hot names mocked to the Bills in Mock Draft Watch 5.0. Don't go anywhere. We're One Bills Live. We're presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio.
on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour two of One Bills Live, Maddie Glab and CBS Sports draft analyst Chris Trapasso in today for Chris Brown and Steve Tasker. It is now time to break down the latest mock draft watch 5.0. We're probably going to have 10 of these things before the NFL draft begins, which I'm totally fine with because I love talking about the NFL draft. One of my favorite things to talk about. And we've got an expert right next to me who can help us break down some of the latest names that have been mocked to the Bills. So, Chris, we have tracked over 101 mock drafts. Let me just catch you up here. I'm going to get the first day we started tracking this. So we waited for the season to end, which it ended too soon. But we started tracking these end of January. So January 23rd is the first one we tracked. It's now March 29th. So we've been tracking a couple months. And in the latest crop, 5.0, there were 13 mock drafts that we tracked. In those 13... Offensive line was mocked four times to the Bills, and if you're watching on MSG, you're seeing out of those 100 that we have tracked, so we can go there first. So out of those 101 total mock drafts, the favorite position group so far is offensive line being mocked to the Bills at 32 times. Next up, running back at 23 Defensive back is number three at 17 times being mocked to the Bills at number 27. Wide receiver is 15. That's the fourth most mocked position group to the Bills. And within offensive line, the number one group, you divide it up between tackles and interior offensive linemen. 22 interior offensive linemen, not different names, just that position group. They've been mocked to the Bills 22 times at number 27. Offensive tackle 10 times to the Bills at 27. Does that make sense with how things are, are, are falling in your eyes with how the first round could look? Yeah, it does. And, and I think it's kind of par for the course. We had Cynthia, we had Cynthia Freeland on, mm-hmm. who's a big numbers girl, and that was a lot of numbers there. I know you got your Excel spreadsheet you know, all worked not out. Not that fancy. Very impressive. Um, <laughs> what I do find interesting about that, and again, I think it is important to always bring up that you started doing these in January where yes. there was a clear-cut need at, at offensive linemen. The Bills signed Connor McGovern. They signed David Edwards, mm-hmm. who has time spent with Aaron Cromer in his career. Maybe not as big of a need now. And yep. how I look at the Bills at 27 in terms of interior offensive linemen, in terms of who's going to be available, who is worthy of a pick there, it's really Osiris Torrance of Florida and not really much else unless they want to go center with John Michael Schmitz uh-huh. from Minnesota. But with Mitch Moore still in the fold, I, I don't really think that will be the case. So at this point, I think you will probably see in Mock Draft Watch 6.0 and 7.0 and 8.0, <laughs> not as many offensive linemen, yeah. especially on the interior. If you do want to stay in the trenches, the offensive tackle position to maybe provide some competition for Spencer Brown, who I kind of do think was a liability down the stretch, maybe wasn't fully healthy, I like that value better mm-hmm. in the late portions of the first okay. round. Darnell okay. Wright from Tennessee mm-hmm. that you might know pretty well. Yeah. Um, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma is a big masher. He's also very athletic. Feels like more late first round talents at the offensive tackle spot as opposed to guard when the Bills go on the clock. I like that. And I, you know, you see these position groups being mocked to the Bills. And I like that you said, remember, 
we started tracking these the end of January. This was before free agency started. So running back was a hot name. We signed Damian Harris. That probably changes the need for this team at running back, as well as safety, too. That was a, another hot position group to be mocked to the Bills. And Jordan Poyer has signed with this team, and it's reported that Taylor Rapp will also sign with this team. Do they decide to go defensive back again in the first round? Who knows? We'll see some popular names out of those 101 uh, mock drafts that we have tracked. Bijan Robinson is number one, being mocked to the Bills 20 times. It's pretty – I don't – It just I, has to happen every year. The top running back yeah. gets mocked to the Bills by, I think, the people – and I'm not trying to disrespect any national uh, draft analysts. No. But they don't really know the ins and outs of the Bills and what they have seemingly done. The needs, done. yeah. The needs, what they have, what they've already done in the past. They mm-hmm. traded back twice last year and still picked James Cook. They traded for uh, Naheem Hines. Yeah. It's not going to be Bijan Robinson. I would be absolutely stunned if that was the case. But, again, go back to – before Damian Harris, it seemed like, hey, maybe this is the, yeah, finally totally. the third time is I the charm. I could be convinced. Yes. With B. Jan Robinson at this point, I don't, and he might not even be there at 27, yeah. to be honest. So he is the most mocked player to the Bills at 20 in these 101 mock drafts. I just don't think it will happen. He's a great player. He is a great and, player. But in general, as a draft analyst, I would say, don't pick running backs in the first round. Every year during this period of the NFL calendar that we talked about is just nonstop. Everyone gets enamored with the Travis Etienne's, the Najee Harris's, the Brees Hall's. By the time we hit the NFL season in November and everyone has three or four fantasy leagues and you're picking up six-rounders and undrafted free agents and the San Francisco 49ers are on their fourth running back, we all realize, oh, you can get a lot of quality value not even just in the second round or the third round, but on day three of the draft Mm -hmm. and in the undrafted free agent ranks. So for as fun as it would be in April and May if the Bills picked a Jameer Gibbs or uh, B. Jan Robinson out of Texas, it wouldn't be the best allocation of a first-round pick in terms of the value that they could bring and what else you could get later in the draft at that same position. Yeah. The second most mocked name to the Bills was Osiris Torrance. He's been a favorite name. You mentioned him as somebody who could fit maybe – Maybe he'll still be available for the Bills there at number 27 as a name that would make sense for this team. But you do wonder, based on the offensive line moves that this team has made in free agency, you mentioned David Edwards and Connor McGovern, are they wanna, Are they going to want to go that route at number 27? Would they rather go somewhere else? And again... We don't know what their big board looks like. We don't know how many first-round grades they have on these players. So it's really hard to tell and and, and guess this is what this team is going to do. You turn on the tape on Osiris Torrance, and he does have a lot of upside, I think, that that could work out for the Bills if that's where they want to go with him. Okay, here's how I view Osiris Torrance. I, I actually have him graded just outside of the first round, but if the Bills pick him at 27, I wouldn't consider that a gigantic reach. Mm-hmm. Going into the combine, there was a lot of thought that Osiris Torrance is going to test really bad because he's so big. He's just not really fleet of foot. He's heavy-footed. I think on film, he's actually pretty athletic for being 6'5 and 330 yes, pounds. Yes. I think he moves pretty well, and we've kind of – heard this narrative that Aaron Cromer does kind of lean toward the mobile offensive lineman as opposed to these mashers, um, where I think Osiris Torrance actually is a little overrated. I think his anchor could get a little bit better Mm -hmm. in pass protection, and being 6'5 and 330 pounds, he could actually be a little bit more powerful. And that's usually the case for offensive linemen once they come into the NFL. It takes them at least a half a season, and for most of them, 
a full season to get what I call NFL strong. You just got to get in the strength and conditioning program in the NFL, gain a little bit of weight, just get stronger in your lower half. Once Osiris Torrance does that, I think he can be a Pro Bowl caliber guard. And we have seen, maybe not in the draft, Brandon Bean has been very aggressive attacking the offensive line since he's gotten here in 2018 and realized, let's build something in front of Josh Allen. So Osiris Torrance is the guard that I think would not be out of the question, and I would like that pick because, again, does this player have a direct impact on Josh Allen, a tight end would, and certainly an offensive lineman would? A couple other names who are popular names who not they really haven't showed up as of late in the last, I want to say, two rounds of mock drafts that we've talked about that we've tracked, I'm talking the last two weeks, Brian Branch and Antonio Johnson. Those are two safeties, two defensive backs um, that are really talented. Uh, Whatever team gets them, they're going to be lucky, but I don't know if it makes sense for the Bills anymore based on the moves in free agency. Yeah, I mean, with Taylor Rapp and Jordan Poyer, who we've talked about a lot today, doesn't really make sense, and what's why they're two different safeties altogether. I don't think Antonio Johnson to be, and this is obviously no inside info here. I don't think he was ever on the uh, board for the bills because he is a really bad tackler. He misses so many tackles on film. He's big. He's athletic. He's explosive. I don't think Sean McDermott wants another defensive back in this secondary. Who's not a sure tackler. Conversely, Brian branch at Alabama. I think he's the best tackling defensive back that mm-hmm. I've ever scouted. He's not six foot three and 220. He doesn't have 4-4 speed. He ran it close to 4-6 at the combine, but tackles really, really well. The only reason why I don't think Brian Branch would make sense for the Bills, he kind of plays the Taron Johnson role, and the Bills love Taron Johnson, recently extended Taron Johnson. is kind of that half linebacker, half slot defender, nickel corner, whatever you want to call him. Brian Branch is not your traditional safety. That's the exact position I think he will ultimately play in the NFL. And if you look at the latest crop of mock drafts that we have tracked 5.0 out of 5.0, there's there's 13 mock drafts in there. And when you look at the position groups, offensive line was mocked to the Bills four times, interior offensive line three times, wide receiver was three times, running back two times, linebacker twice, edge rusher once, cornerback once. The favorite names... Bijan Robinson is still showing up. He was mocked to the Bills twice in the latest crop of mock drafts. Osiris Torrance twice and Jack Campbell twice. So Osiris Torrance is showing up again. We've talked about him already. Jack Campbell, another person that could be a fit for the Bills based on that middle linebacker spot that that has a big void um, on this roster, at least to this point. Not necessarily that. I'm not saying that the the starting middle linebacker is not already on this roster because Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott did say we owe the guys an opportunity to compete for this spot, whether it's Tyrell Dodson, whether it's Terrell Bernard, or whether it's Balen Spector. Those guys have earned the right to compete for a spot like that. Um, Could I see them adding to middle linebacker to that competition through the draft? Heck yes, I could. And I'm a fan of Jack Campbell. I know you are too because he's popped up on your mock drafts heading to the Bills at number 27. Yeah, I could talk about Jack Campbell for probably (laughs) the whole two-hour show. Uh, He is, to me, would be the perfect fit for the Bills at the middle linebacker spot. Multi-year starter at Iowa. Even back in the, the shortened COVID season of 2020, he was a starting middle linebacker. Almost the exact same size as Tremaine Edmonds, which I do think kind of helps him if he's trying to get drafted by the Bills. 6'5", 240-plus pounds, 
doesn't have quite as long of arms as Tremaine Edmonds, mm -hmm. but a similar stature at the middle linebacker spot. And I think they want some size next to Matt Milano and next to their quasi-linebacker, Taron Johnson. What I love about Jack Campbell is his instincts. He, he is not crazy fast. He ran in the mid-4-6s at the Combine, tested very well otherwise in terms of the three-cone, the vertical, the broad jump. So good in coverage. His instincts in coverage remind me a lot of Fred Warner when he was coming out of BYU, where everyone's like, oh, he's not really rangy enough. He doesn't have enough speed to get sideline to sideline. But he plays fast because he understands where he needs to be based on, if, is it play action? Where is the offensive lineman going? Jack Campbell just feels like a player that I think is severely underrated. I'm not sure why he's so underrated, because he tested like an elite athlete, was a very productive at Iowa, a program that is constantly pumping out quality defensive guys. Um, and there's not really this surefire linebacker number one in this draft class like there's been in the past. He would make a lot of sense for the Bills at 27. He's my number one linebacker in this class. His field awareness really popped out on film to me. Yeah. He looks like an NFL player in the way he can spy the quarterback and the way that he knows what's going on in the field and how he needs to read, react, and adjust to what what is happening within a play or what is happening pre-snap. I was really, really impressed with that. Let me let me run one thing by you with okay. Jack, Jack Campbell because your mock draft – with Jack Campbell was in this latest crop. Jack Campbell popped up again, but it wasn't in the first round. So the Athletic did a mock draft. The Athletic NFL staff did. So Joe Biscalia, who covers the Bills in the area, he was a part of this mock draft. And he had the Bills trading away number 27 and number 137 to the Detroit Lions. In return, they got 48, 55, 183, and 194. Oof. And then they draft Jack Campbell at that number 48 spot. Do you believe Jack Campbell is going to be available at number 48? So this is what's so hard about being a draft analyst because I have Jack Campbell ranked as my number 22 overall player. I don't think he should get that far. Uh -huh. And this is what Brandon Bean and the, the Bills scouting department and all the scouting departments in the NFL have to do. They can love a player, but then they also, I think, are doing their own mock draft watches and saying, is Jack Campbell going to be there if we trade back? Now, I think that because, to me, the middle linebacker spot is the most glaring need right now for the Bills, if you love Jack Campbell and you're sitting him. there at 27, you don't want to necessarily move back 21 spots and say, let's hope he's there. But it does feel like I'm, I don't want to say on an island, but I'm, I'm kind of in the minority with Jack Campbell being a first-round caliber prospect. So the Bills, all NFL teams, they have to kind of look around the rest of the league and say, is this guy more of a mid-second-round pick? If the Bills could move back and get a bunch of picks, get more rolls at the table, that would be a home run for them in terms of just getting more draft capital and then getting someone that, like you mentioned, I think is a day-one NFL middle linebacker who's a great tackler and really good in coverage. Yeah, I agree with that, and, and you – made the point of I think this scouting department, I think Brandon Bean is doing mock drafts, and he said that before. He said you have to. In, in this time leading up to the NFL draft where we feel like we're at a good place with, with how we have graded these prospects, now is the time to do mock drafts and to try and envision what the heck is going to happen on night one because when you're sitting that far down on, on night one, it's really hard to predict what, what's going to happen. So you try to do as many mock drafts as possible to run through every single scenario that happens so that when you are three picks away, two picks away, you've already done a mock draft that is similar to how the board is falling. So you're not freaking out and saying, 
oh my gosh, we had no idea the board was going to fall like this. We had no idea there was going to be this many trades. We had no idea that there were still going to be some quarterbacks on the board that may not come off now. And I think, too, in terms of trading back, you feel okay with trading back. Mm-hmm. That the Bills last year, they traded up because Kyer Elam was their last first-round pick or uh, first-round grade. If Kyer Elam was gone, the Bills were probably going to move back. At that point, because you have to do those mock drafts because when you trade back, it's like, who's going to be available? Yeah. Who do we feel comfortable with that will still be there when we move back? We slide out of the first round altogether maybe and are picking in the 30s or 40s as opposed to number 27 overall. So it's not even just first-round mock drafts. you got to do multiple rounds, probably through day two, the end of the third round, to understand – the general range for where certain players are going to go. And I think that's an underrated element to Brandon Bean attending pro days because he's seen these guys. He doesn't need to watch CJ Stroud throw the football, but he's around other GMs. It can you're talking. It's a big networking event during a very key time Mm -hmm. in the NFL calendar. Well, in the latest mock draft watch, there were three wide receivers that popped up. That was the second most mocked position group out of the last 13 mock drafts we have tracked. So we wanted to run through a couple of those names and talk to you guys about them. Chris is going to give his opinion about those guys as well. So we'll go first with wide receiver. He's out of TCU, Quentin Johnston. So This kid is 6'3", 208 pounds. He's a junior. He is a bigger body type guy. He's got long arms. Played in 32 games in his college football career. He had 60 receptions for over 1,000 receiving yards, six receiving touchdowns, um, and averaged 17.8 yards per reception. So, this is somebody who who has had the time and who is who has seen the field in a lot of games, um, has done a lot to earn him names like 2022 first team All Big 12 and AP first team All Big 12 name. So this is somebody who who is looked at as some of the best within the conference that he played in. When you turn on the tape on him. He has some moves to him. Even though he's a bigger body wide receiver, he does have the ability to to juke out a defender. He has some build-up speed, which meshes well with his size, I think. He can get up in the air to grab the ball because he's a 6'3 wide receiver. He's a good separator. A lot of tape on him. I think you you turn it on and there's not many close defenders. That also could be because of the routes that he's running. He has a really nice catch radius because of his size. A lot of this comes back to his size. I think that should only increase his catch radius once he gets into the NFL he has the ability to run a route tree that can increase in the NFL I think this is a player that I look at and I say you have a lot of upside once you get into the NFL you've put some good tape together but there's a lot more to come for somebody like you what do you think that is a really good scouting reporter Quentin Johnson great job (laughs) uh it's a I view him similarly he jumped over 40 inches at the combine the TCU Pro Day is on Friday. We're going to see him probably run the 40, or at least I hope he runs the 40. Yeah, I love when the guys work out. So we know how fast they are on a field. Quentin Johnson, I think really the only concerns with him, because he is my wide receiver one. I think he's the best wide receiver in this class for pretty much all the reasons that Maddie just laid out. The concerns would be that in TCU's offense and the Big 12, they don't play a lot of defense. It's an air raid offense where they're just chucking it deep a lot. Maybe he didn't run a variety of routes like you mentioned you want to see that route tree get a little better once he gets to the NFL. And at times, even though he is really good in those contested catch situations, uh, the body catches kind of pop up and the yes. ball bounces off his yes. pads. And you're wondering, how can he make this 
spectacular catch, but then miss this wide open catch. Um, in general, though, drop rates for receivers are not really predictive. They kind of go up and down. There's not, um, I think, a big concern where he just has terrible hands and can't catch the football. With Josh Allen's ability and with his propensity to throw the football vertically, if Quentin Johnson was there at 27, and it seemed like uh, far-fetched until Daniel Jeremiah this week sent him to yeah, the Bills at 27. Yeah, the Bills at 27. If he was there, that would be one for me as a draft analyst where it would be a whether you're running the pick to the podium or you're calling it in, whatever they actually we got really Gwen do. Johnston. That's what you would ultimately have to do if you're the Buffalo Bills. Again, this is a theme for me, direct impact on Josh Allen would actually alleviate some attention mm-hmm. and pressure from Stefan Diggs yeah. too. Certainly he's the number one wide receiver, but I think in time, year two, year three, Quentin Johnston could ultimately be your number one receiver because the upside, the explosion, and the size make him a big-time potential wide receiver. He had over 1,000 receiving yards last year, I said, in his career. He had over 2,000 receiving yards in his career, played in 32 total games in his three seasons with TCU. Moving on, Jordan Addison, a receiver out of USC. He's 5'11", 173, is a junior. Uh, So smaller, but I think when you you watch the tape on him, he plays bigger because of his speed. So he ran a 4'4940". Last year, he played in 11 games, had 59 catches for 875 receiving yards, eight receiving touchdowns, and in his career, he goes over 3,000 receiving yards, 29 receiving touchdowns, and played in 35 games. His best season, he transferred to USC. His best season came in 2021, I believe it was. Yes, 14 games he played in. 100 catches for 1,500 receiving yards, over 1,500 receiving yards, 17 receiving touchdowns, guys. He tied the FBS record for that in 2021 or led the FBS for that in 2021, averaged 15.9 yards per catch. Um, He can work inside and outside when you watch the tape on this kid. He's got quick feet. He's fast. He can juke a defender out of his shoes. He did that really good in the way that he – He got in and out of his breaks. He plays bigger than he is based on his athleticism when you watch him. I think he sees – he does a good job of seeing the ball all the way into his hands. He had a down season with USC in 2022, so you kind of wonder – Why did he have a down year? Is it because of the offense that he played in at USC? Because he exploded at Pitt in 2021, had this incredible season, was a first-team type player. So with him, the question mark is, can he be consistent like he was in that one season at Pitt? Yeah, no, definitely. And to further that point with Jordan Addison, I think you, again, spelled it out very well in terms of what he brings to the field. 5'11", 173, and then running 4'49", that's not really the best combination. It's not the most predict- or indicative of him being this big-time player mm-hmm. at the next level. I'm lower on Jordan Addison than most. I have a second-round grade on him, but I do think in Buffalo and in some other teams, like if he landed in Minnesota, where he would be the surefire number two, then you could see him really be good yes. right away. If he's asked to be a number one receiver as a rookie – I think he's going to struggle with the physicality of a lot of the longer corners at the next level. Wear and tear. I kind of view him closer to Marquise Brown or Sterling Shepard than I do Calvin Ridley, and that's how he's trying to kind of sell himself. A big reason, I think, why Calvin Ridley was able to become a good player early in his NFL career, he landed in Atlanta with Julio Jones, and a lot of the attention and pressure was not on him. So that's how I view Jordan Addison. Wouldn't be a home run of a pick, in my opinion, in 
that would compare to Quentin Johnston, who would be. Yeah. But direct impact on Josh Allen. He can separate. Maybe not a high ceiling because of the athleticism, but certainly a high floor. Yeah, I agree. I kind of think you 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 see you've seen his bust. You see how he's going to play within the NFL. Yeah. Not as much upside as a guy like Quentin Johnson. We'll go over one more before we take a break. It's Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee. You talked about being a good wide receiver too for for Jordan Addison himself being a good wide receiver too. I think Jalen Hyatt could be that for a team as well. He's a little bit bigger, six feet tall, one seventy six. Not a huge guy, but he ran a four. 440 so this is another quick wide receiver last season at Tennessee he played in 12 games and had over 1200 receiving yards and 15 receiving touchdowns this is a big catch a big play type receiver he averaged 18.9 yards per reception last year he was a a consensus and unanimous first team all-american because of the season he had in 2022 he had five receiving touchdowns or five touchdowns against Alabama last season for Tennessee Uh, Uh, This is a kid who went off in high school. He was the all-time leader in career receiving yards and receiving touchdowns for his high school. His freshman and his sophomore year are interesting. He's kind of a receiver that had to wait for his turn. So in his freshman and sophomore year, in each season, he had less than 300 receiving yards and had only two receiving touchdowns in each season. So he had to wait his turn. But when you turn on the tape, he can outrun defenders. He gets good separation on the deep ball because of his speed. And defenses have to account for his speed, and they have to change what they do because of the threat of the deep ball that he poses Um, on offense that defenses really have to adjust for. He's not the biggest route tree runner based on what he did in college. Can he do more of that? Can he expand his route tree in the NFL? I think that's a question for him. Uh, Another question for him is, is this just a really good wide receiver too that you, he does what he did his best in college football, the crossers, the slants. You just let him keep doing that because he was so good doing that for Tennessee last season. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt's interesting because I I don't think he's that well-rounded of a wide receiver right now. But if we look from a Bills perspective, what Josh Allen and what this offense really became down the stretch and in the playoffs last season, that he was chucking it deep seemingly every other third down. If you add Jalen Hyatt to this team, I think, again, you're not getting a complete wideout that's going to be awesome after the catch, that's going to win a lot of contested catches, but it would scare the heck out of a lot of defensive coordinators to not just have Gabe Davis, who's proven to be a great vertical threat, even though he's not crazy fast. You have Diggs, you have Dawson Knox, who's an athletic tight end, but a guy that went into the combine and people were disappointed when he ran 4-4 flat yes. because he looks like a 4-2 guy on mm-hmm. film, even though he has that 4-4-0 on his combine resume, I think he's fast around the football field. So I have him graded lower because, again, he doesn't do everything really well that I would look for in a first-round wide receiver. I agree. Get vertical down the field, beat press coverage, and then turn on the Jets, especially that long speed, that second and third gear. Jalen Hyatt is as scary with the football, just getting north and south Mm -hmm. more than any other receiver in this class. Yeah, I think defenses have to They have to account for him when he's on the field. Does that make him a first-round pick? Some people have him going the Bills at number 27. Or is he more of a day-two guy that will depend on how the board falls and and how the Bills have graded Jalen Hyatt among other wide receivers? All right, break time for us. When we come back, we are going to get into Chris Trapasso's latest mock draft and look at his big board. Don't go anywhere here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyda Health on Buffalo Bills Radio.
got about 20 minutes left here on Wednesday's edition of One Bills Live. And right as we went to break, there was some breaking news from the Bills that we saw on Twitter. Ari Mirov says, source, the Bills are re-signing veteran defensive tackle Jordan Phillips to a one-year deal, a $3 million deal. Um, It was reported that he visited the Bills this past week and could be somebody who they could add back to this defensive line room. And I think... It makes so much sense for this team to bring him back. He did deal with some injury problems this past year, but he adds a veteran presence to that room. He adds some nastiness to that room. Um, And I think him being next to a Daquan Jones, next to an Ed Oliver, the three guys right there that can rotate in the middle, I think Jordan Phillips is is a great sure piece to have a part of this defensive line and he's huge and there's been a problem in previous years when the bills were a little light on their defensive line the teams were able to run on that defensive line when jordan phillips was healthy early last season there were not a lot of teams derrick henry had one of his worst games of his career in week two against the bills defensive line when daquan jones ed oliver and jordan phillips were all at 100 percent and then on the other side of that Later in the season, when Jordan Phillips had that injured shoulder and was really playing with like one arm, Daquan Jones didn't play in the playoff game. You saw what happens when those guys are not on the field. And clearly, we were talking about it earlier. Calais Campbell signs with the Falcons. We both said the Bills might go defensive line. Clearly, Brandon Bean was listening, watching the show, yeah. called up Jordan Phillips' agent and said, point. let's re-sign Jordan Phillips. He's also a fan favorite, pumps up the crowd a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the culture, it makes sense, too. And only 30 years old, doesn't turn 31 until September. Jordan Phillips still has a lot of good football in front of him. And he understands that in Buffalo, he understands the defense. He's not going to have to play 70, 80, 90% of the snaps. A lot of defensive coordinators, a lot of teams say, all right, my defensive line, I'm going to rotate one or two guys in and out. Not in Buffalo. Sean McDermott's defense has always been the most rotation-heavy defensive line in the NFL. And I think that is a selling point for these older defensive linemen that they don't have to play a lot of football every single week. They can be fresh later in the season and into the playoffs. And this is a guy who, who played for the bills. Then he went to go play for the Arizona Cardinals and he came back to this team because of the culture, because of the coaching staff and because of the people inside this locker room, he's one of those pieces that just fit in with the culture and somebody who appreciated what Buffalo was after he left Buffalo so much so that he wanted to come back. So that tells you the type of effort that he's going to put into this team when he's here, which, is very much appreciated. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of like what happens to a lot of people that grow up in Buffalo. (laughs) Then they take a job somewhere else, and they're like, I'm trying to get away from the weather, the smaller city. And then like 10 years later, in their late 20s, they ultimately move back to Buffalo because of what you just said, Mm -hmm. that they didn't really appreciate fully all the charm of Buffalo. And this is, again, tying back to Jordan Phillips being here. I I think it's similar that a winning organization that um, is, again, one of the best defenses in the Sean McDermott era over the last five or six seasons, any stat you look at, DVOA, uh, yards allowed, points allowed, he knows he's going to be part of a winning team and a good defensive unit and not have to play a ton of snaps. This makes a lot of sense, and it also alleviates a little bit the Bills' need for defensive tackle depth 
early in the draft. Most definitely. Speaking of the draft, you had a mock draft watch that just, not mock draft watch, that's what I do. You had a mock <laughs> draft that just came out. You're at one about one a week, you said. So you had a three-round mock draft that came out. So let's go through who you had the Bills picking in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. At number 27, who was it? It was Jack Campbell, and I already kind of spoke Maybe too much on him. This is a Jack Campbell fan account from now on, guys. Yes. (laughs) Like, so much about Jack Campbell, I think, just fits what the Bills ultimately want at the linebacker spot. Size, coverage ability. He's a great tackler. He's not going to miss a lot of tackles. I think at times that was an issue for Tremaine Edmonds that a lot of running backs would kind of slip off his hands. That does not happen with Jack Campbell. Um, Again, he might not get picked that early. And if he were – if he was ultimately picked by the Bills at 27, I think a lot of national – media other national media would say it's too early he's not really a first round caliber player again production athleticism that's what I look for the two big check marks that I want to have for my prospects they're going to be first round picks and Jack Campbell has both of those in spades number 59 is this guy going to be around at 59 Chris Darnell Washington the tight end from Georgia it's hard to say it's kind of similar to Jack Campbell you look at some mock drafts Darnell Washington's maybe the third tight end off the board in the first round. Others, he's available uh-huh. in the third round. So it's really hard to say because this is someone at Georgia. He entered that program for Kirby Smart, was the number one athlete recruit in the entire nation in 2020. He was kind of this tall, spindly guy, beefed up while he was there in the, the Bulldogs program, six foot seven. 264 pounds, and ran in the low four sixes. He reminds me a lot of Martellus Bennett, who was a really big, uh, imposing receiving threat who could also really get after it as a blocker. And Darnell Washington, I've said it, it's kind of been my go-to line with him. You put him on the field, he is a sixth offensive lineman. We heard you mention it off air last season when the Bills signed O.J. Howard. There was some talk that, hey, they're going to do a lot of two tight end sets. It's going to really be tough for defenses to match up personnel-wise. What are they going to do? O.J. Howard ultimately not – like ultimately doesn't make the team, Mm -hmm. so that never really materializes. With Darnell Washington, you're almost getting a younger O.J. Howard that I think has upside because of that recruit rankings, that he was a great athlete coming out of school, and now he's a three-down tight end that can be a good receiver with a lot of upside. He's very young, too. You talk about dual-threat quarterbacks coming out of college football. This is a dual-threat tight end in the fact that he can act as a wide receiver, but he can also act as a bad, bad, bad blocker. That can be that sixth offensive lineman that you were talking about. And then in the third round for the Bills, who do you have heading to Buffalo? Wide receiver Jaden Reed from Michigan State. He's been a favorite of mine since I watched him early on in the pre-draft process. And maybe there's something to this. He reminds me a lot of Stephon Diggs when he was a prospect mm. coming out of Maryland. Stephon Diggs was, the fi- was a fifth-round yeah. pick, not crazy big, didn't test through the roof. But you watched him at Maryland, and you said, this guy just make plays after play after play. That's the same vibe that I got watching Jaden Reed, that at Michigan State, the quarterback play wasn't amazing. The offensive line maybe held back the passing offense a little bit there for the Spartans. Contested catchability at 5'11 is absolutely through the roof. He plays like he's about six foot three. The yards after the catch skill, I think, is very Diggs-esque where he's going to bounce off some tacklers, but he has some juking ability, some burst. Um, tested very similarly to Stephon Diggs. Third round, I think he's going to be there and would be someone that, again, would not have to be relied upon to be a 100-target player 
in the next couple seasons, I think learning from Stefan Diggs, similarly size with comparable athleticism, he could be a really good pro that's ultimately one of the biggest steals in this 2023 draft. I mean, if this is how the first three rounds of the NFL draft went for the Bills, like, I'm going to have a parade because sign me up. This amazing linebacker, tight end, wide receiver who can – all these guys – they make Josh Allen better, even mm-hmm. a defensive player, mm-hmm. because you're handing the ball back to Josh Allen because you're getting off the field on third down. I love it. I think a lot of people who are listening and watching also love that. Fingers crossed that something like that happens for the Bills um, when they are on the board with that 27th pick in the NFL draft. All right, when we come back, we are going to close things up here on One Bills Live. Maybe maybe visit the tweet sheet really quickly before we sign off here. We're One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, there's been a lot of discussion about what the Bills could do at number 27 in the first round. But I want to extend beyond the first round. You have a top 50 big board that we can find on CBS Sports and on your Twitter. What are some names that are on that top 50 big board that you think might be good options for the Bills on day two? Because there's going to be some good depth on day two of this draft. I will stick with the random Iowa theme of today's show, Sam Laporta. We love it. The tight end, if the Bills don't love Darnell Washington as much as I do or he's already gone, Sam Laporta to me is the best yards after the catch tight end in Mm -hmm. this draft class. And I've been a big proponent that I think this team needs to get better in that regard. Uh, And it's not just juking out defenders. I think a lot of what we've seen in today's NFL with the Debo Samuel and the A.J. Brown types You need to be able to just bounce off tackles. You need to have that contact balance. I think Sam Laporta is so good in that regard. He's a little bit underrated in this class. It is part of the reason why this tight end class is so good because he's like the fourth or fifth or sixth guy at that position who will probably be there in the second round. So offensively, Sam Laporta. Defensively, Mm -hmm. I will go off the grid a little bit. Moro Ojimo from Texas. Okay, He's a defensive tackle if the Bills – are looking into the future at the defensive tackle Mm -hmm. spot. He is that up-the-field rusher that uses pass rush moves, his burst, quickness, uh, to to become a a really good pass rusher. I think maybe in a year or two is where you want to see him be in a full-time row. I I love Mara Ojimo from Texas. Okay, a tight end and a defensive tackle that could be available for this team on day two. Chris, thank you so much for sharing all your insight on the NFL draft. Some Some great names that we learned about in today's show, so appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, Steve Tasker and Chris Brown will be back tomorrow. Have a great day, guys.